This is getting better and better. Hey, there he is. Hey, how's it going? The man, the myth, the legend. Mohan! No. <laughs> What's up? You look like you're somewhere tropical, my friend. I am. I am in wonderful Huntington Beach, California. Oh, That's wow. not exactly tropical, but it's not Utah. <laughs> it's not Utah. That's for sure. It looks tropical with that background. You got like the uh, yeah, flowery sure pillow. You got a little tiki hut behind you or something. <laughs> yeah. See, now I'm jealous. Now I'm jealous. And that's an inside <laughs> joke. Steve gets that. Now I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you should be jealous of many things. Earlier, earlier was Steve was talking about your hair and asked if I was jealous of your hair, and I said no. I've I've had this incarnation of hair where I've had my dreads when they were wild, so I said no. I'm I'm just appreciative. I love his hair, but I'm not jealous. Uh, now I'm, I'm jealous because I'm looking at where you said he's jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous of your hair. I had I had big big hair when I was younger, and now it's just thinning, and I'm getting old and. So I'm jealous. Miles yeah, is secretly jealous. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, if, I, if any consolation, it is like a full-time job to try and take care of. And I feel like uh, when it comes to, I don't know, it's just always, oh, Mohan and his hair. It's like, oh, man, what's going to happen when I don't have my hair anymore? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, because we knew you no. before the hair got really long. That's so, true. <laughs> and we, we loved you then, and we love you now. <laughs> Mohan, Mohan, I'll tell you what's going to happen when it disappears. The people that really love your hair, they're going to disappear. And then you'll have a you you'll you'll have a new crop of people who love the new incarnation. You sound like when you're I, speaking from experience. Did you lose people in your life when you when you cut your dreads? Yes, I did. When I had dreads, I attracted a certain type of person. Mm. All right. And they love the dreads and this. And when I cut my dreads off, I had my dreads for about 14 years. And when I cut them off, it was like they disappeared. But then the people who love bald, they came out of the woodwork. So no matter. <laughs> so no matter what incarnation your hair is, there's here we go, Steve, you'll appreciate. There's your tribe. There There's a go. tribe for all hairstyles. <laughs> so maybe Mohan's better at picking friends than you are. Then maybe <laughs> his won't leave. When he cuts only his only hair. time will tell, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. before we go on any further, Mohan, Tiago told me specifically to tell you hello. Uh, I miss He's... Tiago so much. Tell him. Normally, hi. he would be with me. He would come in because um, I get him four days a week. I'm in Oberlin, Ohio. I live right around the corner from his mother. We have a really cool relationship, but I get Tiago three to four days a week and he's over there. But now he's in Florida on vacation with his grandmother. So I told him that we were doing the podcast with you. And he was like, I want to see Mohan. Oh, man. I miss you. <laughs> but he's, so he's in Florida now. Yeah. You have to take a picture of the uh, Zoom here and uh, send it <laughs> off to, to Tiago. Uh, and you're right. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, Mohan, anyway, we're excited to have you coming. Yeah, <laughs> thank yeah, you. Thank, Thanks for the drink there. <laughs> thank you both. <laughs> thank you both for, for having me. It's I was I was super excited when you reached out, Steve. And I mean, like I missed both of you like a lot. It's been forever since I've seen either. I know. Of you. I so, yeah, it's been oh, way it's, too long. Yeah, so it's it's super cool to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Well, and with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast. Uh, the man who did a push-up once, our resident intellectual in Oberlin, Ohio, is W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Thank you. First, I did two push-ups, all right? So get your facts straight. Let's not double up on that. Come on now. All right. It was two push-ups. And in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Today's guest is a man who will inspire you to disrupt and evolve your soul, Mohan Subadatula. Mohan, we are so excited to have you joining us today. Um, Mohan Subadatula is the founder and CEO of Project Embrace, a global medical nonprofit that's dedicated to increasing access to healthcare services for all. Having started his business as a student, Mohan is a firm believer that anyone can make a difference in their community as long as they feel empowered to do so. Mohan has presented his work and research on numerous professional 
and academic stages such as the Utah State Legislature, Johns Ho John Hopkins, Stanford School of Medicine, the University of Oxford, the United Nations, and the TEDx stage, just to name a few. He was recently recognized as one of Utah businesses 20 in their 20s in 2020 and ran as the youngest candidate in state history for Utah uh, State House District 42. After graduation, Mohan aspires to go to grad school where he intends to pursue his passion for the advancement of health and human rights as a public service. Mohan, welcome to the Evolve podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> Man, I, I got to tell you, I think you are the youngest guy we've had on the podcast so far, but yeah. certainly not the <laughs> not the least accomplished. I mean, you have done some amazing things so far in your young life. Um, it's amazing, and I and Miles just sent me a message that I did. I say your name wrong? Oh no, yes. no yeah. It, it is a, it's Suda Batula, but it is such a. I mean, Hakuna Matata, Suda Batula. <laughs> Suda Batula. I, I think I wrote it down. I mixed the B and the, and the D. I apologize. Names oh, no, are important. It's okay. <laughs> so my apologies. Well, we're excited to have you today. Um, and I, I want to dive right into Project Embrace. Um, what an amazing concept. It's beautifully simple. And it really is. wonderful it really how is. you've put this together. So tell our listeners about uh, Project Embrace. Yeah, well, Project Embrace is a nonprofit that um, I kicked off just a little over three years ago. Um, and uh, I, I think you said it best. We're, we're a healthcare nonprofit that's dedicated to increasing access to healthcare services for all. And the way we do this is through a couple of programs. Um, the one that we're most known for is we collect uh, previously owned durable medical equipment. So things like crutches, walkers, wheelchairs, canes, you know. Uh, a, a lot of lifestyle assistance-based equipment um, from patients who no longer need them, clean it up, refurbish it, and then send it off all around the world to patients who can't afford it for free. Um, in, in the past, you know, we've, uh, oh, well, since we've been operating, we've, uh, it, it's been about, yeah, three years, and we've uh, served over 1,500 patients and have worked. Wow. In, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, have worked, you know, anywhere from the local ho homeless population out in Salt Lake City to the indigenous populations out in southern Utah and the Four Corners, um, home, uh, veterans, uh, refugees, undocumented patients, just, you know, like all, all the people who tend to fall through the cracks. Those are the people that we're looking for. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's that. We also uh, provide, I mean, outside durable medical equipment, we recently inaugurated our uh, women's health initiative. And so there we provide uh, feminine hygiene and menstrual products to the same populations um, whenever we go out there. And so, uh, yeah, we're just just kind of starting up and starting to grow, but that, that's us in a nutshell, you know, find, finding stuff that people don't need in our community and giving it another purpose. What a, what a cool, simple topic. I, I watched your TED talk again and as I'm watching this, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, this is a kid that worked for me um, in the cafe and was, I mean, you were always one of those kids that I just, when I met you the first time and then I saw you working at that, this kid is destined for some amazing things. You've got a great personality. You've got this magnetic uh, thing about you. And when I'm watching this TED talk, I'm thinking it, this, this concept is so simple. It's so basic. And right. yet nobody's doing it right at least not like you guys are and and to, the, to hear that you've helped over a thousand people so far um where did the idea come from yeah yeah so um that's a great question so when uh um so it it, it stems from kind, kind of a couple of places you know it, it <laughs> the best way to kind of describe it, it's it's like uh there's like two major events that just kind of widened out that really pushed it forward uh the, the first one was, so uh, my, I'm a first generation American, both my parents immigrated from India. Um, I was born in Texas. Yeehaw. And um, I, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeehaw. I, I was there for six months, you know, like I said, yee, and then we moved. And so like, I, but um, yeah, I, uh, when I was, when I was 10 years old, my parents took me out to India for one of the first times in my life, or at least the first time I can remember it. And um, that was the first time I had ever seen 
such uh, devastating poverty um, among a community, nonetheless a nation. And um, there was a point in time where my parents uh, took me to an orphanage home for disabled children um, and, and children with special needs. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it was the first time I'd ever seen my peers in such a different state of health. Um, it, was, it was really overwhelming. I mean, I we were going through the orphanage and I was looking at children who were missing limbs and just looked so different. And I mean, as, as a 10 year old who grew up in the United States, I just was not prepared for that. And it was really overwhelming. I, mm. you know, um, it, it was, it was, it was honestly a, a devastating kind of experience. I, I felt guilty. I felt gross. I didn't want to like look at these kids because I didn't know how to respond. And I think at the peak of that uh, moment, I, I tugged on my mom's uh, dress and I was like, Hey, like, well, why did you bring me here? You know? Um, and, uh, and the founder of the orphanage was giving us a tour. And what I had found out was my parents made a donation for a couple thousand dollars to help build um, the beginnings of a schoolyard in this orphanage home. Cause a lot of these kids, you know, couldn't navigate their uh, original schoolyard or weren't welcome back for whatever reasons. And so they wanted to make sure that these kids got an education. And um, my mom told me, she told me something that really stuck with me. She told me, she, she was like, you know, when you get older, you're going you're gonna to ask yourself a lot of big questions. You know, one of them being like, what's, what's the point, right? Like, why, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? And there's going to be a lot of people out there with a lot of ideas, thousands of books, thousands of people that claim that have the answer. And I'll just tell you this, it's really simple. Um, your one purpose in life is to serve other people. That's it. It's that kind of drive. <laughs> and, and then, you know, she, she proceeded to tell me, she, she's like, you know, like our, our, on our day to day, we just don't acknowledge all the people around. Imagine how strange it would be if, you know, like we're driving to school and there's no traffic or, or, you know, like recall like this past year, <laughs> like going to a movie theater and there's no one there. And, mm. and, you know, like you, you never pay attention to the background, but then the moment they're gone, you notice. And so it's, it's on us to make sure that we're paying attention at all times because uh, those people play a big part of our day to day and they go unacknowledged every day. And so that was kind of the first thing. And then fast forward about, and this was, you, you were 10 years old at the time. Is that right? I, was 10 years old. I, I, wow. I should say like, I, you know, I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> so yeah, right. child, I was like, okay, that's nice, mom. Um, uh, but then, you know, fast forward about 10 years and um, that, that was kind of the mentality I, I had just growing up. And, and so now, uh, 10 years later, I'm 20 and um, I'm volunteering at Shriners Hospital for Children out in Salt Lake City. And I'm in the orthotics and prosthetics department. So I'm, I'm making orthotics and prosthetics for children. Um, and the, the fascinating thing about orthotics and prosthetics is, especially for kids, you know, you, you build uh, a child like a back brace or something and uh, you give it to the family and you, you feel great watching the kid and the family walk away with the brace thing that you, that you just helped. And then like two weeks later, that same family comes back and they say like, oh, you know, little Jonathan wore his brace out to the car that day and then he, he never touched it again. And, and that's because, you know, kids are really fussy about wearing that kind of stuff. It doesn't feel natural. It's rehabilitative. And so kids just don't get it. They don't understand the importance of it. And two, they, they grow like weeds, right? Like they just, you mm. make something for a kid and then it just doesn't fit after a while. And so like we come back and they say like, hey, like here's this back and I would smell it and it would smell like it just got off a workbench and mm. we have to make a new thing. And then that device, uh, I was the guy who wheeled all of those things morbidly to a dumpster. And so I just remember very distinct, uh, distinctly one day I was throwing away a bunch of this stuff and I thought back to that time I was in India as a 10 year old. And, you know, I, I just like, I, I can think of specific faces of people who need this and something about something about me, you know, like juggernauting these things into a dumpster felt really wrong to me. And so um, that was kind of the, 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 the tipping point of project embrace was, well, you know, why don't we just give this stuff away to someone else? And I started investigating a little more and the problem with orthotics and prosthetics and why, it's really difficult to reuse those things is uh, they're designed very specifically for an individual in mind, right? Like you're, you're, you're creating an extension of a limb 
for someone who, you know, like they have a very specific need, they have a very specific body type. And so you could try to shoehorn someone into a prosthetic or an orthotic that was designed for someone else, but that would ultimately cause more damage than good. Right. And so Mm. that idea had to be scrapped, but then, you know, it switched over to, well, what about more generalizable things, right? What about other things that can help people move around like, like crutches or, or a wheelchair? I, I know right now I have some crutches at home and they're just sitting there. I wonder how many other people have this stuff. And I, I started to pursue the idea a little bit. And after, you know, chasing and researching and uh, doing all the right things. Yeah. Like, like you said, um, no one else is doing it. You know, like, it's just one of those things where People get prescribed this stuff, especially living in Utah, right? There are two really big populations here. Uh, A lot of people like to go out and do recreational things outside and, you know, consequently get hurt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, in Utah, like family units are are really big and people, you know, try to keep, try to stay close knit within the community, right? So then you have a lot of elderly uh, patients or geriatric patients who need like a walker or a wheelchair after a while, right? And then uh, when that's no longer needed in the family, um, or or they buy something new, whatever, they don't have anywhere to put that stuff. And so, like more often than not, we 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 get a lot of calls from people who are like, "Hey, like this belonged to my grandpa. Um, unfortunately, he passed away a year ago, and and we just don't want to throw this away. We don't want to throw away this wheelchair because there's a really big part of his life, and we want to make sure he gets to someone who can use it the same way he did. And there is nothing out there uh, that gives people that opportunity and so um you know like in in most other systems healthcare models around the world when you're given a wheelchair when you're given a walker the expectation is you use it but then when you're done you give it back to the hospital so then they can reuse it but in the united states it's not like that it's, it's now yours to keep right and so that creates mm. a whole other emotional dilemma of people who have used these things and then they want it to go to a good place so it can be used for its intended purpose but there's no program that allows that you know it's it's either they they throw it away or they take it to a thrift store but then no one goes to the thrift store to buy that stuff and so one is either it goes straight to the dump the other is well we feel bad for taking it to the dump but you know in three months it will go to the dump and so um yeah project embrace's work does a really interesting um, space to provide an opportunity for the donor as well as the recipient. And that has harmonized really well, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's what a, what a cool concept. And you, it, it's, it's funny when you talk about that, they either throw it away or they give it to a thrift store and, and I'll drive by pawn shops from time to time and I'll see, uh, devices like that sitting out in front of pawn shops where, um, I'm thinking, how, why would somebody go to a pawn shop to get that? But this, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. People get into a situation where maybe they can't afford these things. And so your organization kind of bridges that gap because it's not part of our current uh, medical system. Right. I remember going to thrift stores because I, one, love going to thrift stores to buy shirts. You know, mm. I, instead of going buying new yep. shirts, I go to thrift stores to get shirts. And I have a clear memory of seeing crutches and wheelchairs um, in these thrift stores. So I, I get what you're saying. That's really interesting. So how did, I, I love how you're talking about that mom taught you this concept or this idea at 10 years old, and then that germinated inside of you over the next 10 years, and you saw a need. How did you turn this vision into action? That's a great question. You know, um, I, at the time, so when I was at the University of Utah, I was, uh, I, I, at the time, I, I really wanted to go to med school <laughs> and mm. I was so fixated on trying to make that a reality. And, you know, like, I, I, I think uh, anyone who wants to work in healthcare, you know, tends to have kind of the same base level of, oh, I want to help people, you know, or, mm-hmm. at least, and um, I, I, that's, that's all it was for me. Uh, it was never past that level of sophistication. And I ultimately, you know, I, I, I just, I saw this happening in front of me and nothing, no one, at least in my immediate peripherals was doing something about it. And so I, I, you know, uh, every day after school, um, or in classes, I just sit down with my notebook at a coffee shop or something, and then just start doodling like crazy. Yeah. Just like, okay, like this is, this is what the program ought to be. 
uh, this is what I should try and research. This is where I should go. This is, these are the people I should interview, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I, I did it out of the, I don't know, like I, what I, being in school, I just, I felt like I was clocking in and clocking out of my education. Um, and I wasn't really engaged mm. with my environment. I just was checking the boxes because I had a goal in mind, uh, but not because I was passionate about the journey uh, or passionate about the process. I just wanted to get there. And um, it just wasn't doing it for me. I, I was doing all right in school, but I, I was bored and I was unengaged. And um, before I knew it, I actually kind of fell into a rut. I was, uh, I, there was a point in time, I can't pinpoint exactly when, but um, I started to experience some very serious signs of depression. And I just wasn't, it, it went from me performing well in the classroom to all of a sudden I would have like a 7.30 class or something and I would wake up at seven and I would tell myself like, oh, campus is 10 minutes away. Uh, I just need five more minutes. And I, I just lay there in bed and, um, you know, not be doing anything, but also not sleep. And, and then all of a sudden, I, you know, like the shadows and the light on the wall would change. And then I would look down at my phone finally and realize it's 3 p.m. And I just like in like an emotional catatonic state, not being mm. able to move and not wanting to move. And then after, after, you know, weeks of that, weeks of now missing class and weeks of missing exams. And I just, I realized like something was terribly wrong. And so I, I didn't know how to go about it, but um, I was still, you know, the one thing I did keep doing was I kept volunteering. I kept going to the hospital because I felt like that was at least more than just sitting in a classroom in context of helping. Um, and then uh, Project Embrace got me excited. All of a sudden I found myself getting out of bed because I wanted to think about this more and I wanted to like research it more. I wanted to do more for it. And so it really, it I, I did it it's out of a sense of necessity for myself. It really kind of became my, what I like to call like my Phoenix project, right? Like when I was at my absolute lowest state, when, when things were completely burned down, like this was what was helping me rebuild amongst that layer of topsoil and all the ash. But um, at the same time, you know, I, I just, I felt like I needed to be doing something with my time because if I wasn't going to school and I wasn't performing there, I needed to prove to myself and to my community and to my family that I was using my time well. And there was reason um, that I was doing this. And so it was really out of a sense of, um, I think, survival. I, I really needed to be doing something with my time. I otherwise allowed myself to not really care about how I use my time for too long and then realize I wasn't doing anything with my time, despite being so protective about it. And so um, yeah, that's kind of complicated, but um, hopefully that makes sense. But, yeah, definitely. You know I what's interesting? What's, what's interesting what's interesting is um and I'm gonna digress a moment but I'll connect the dots in in a screenwriting when you're writing a screenplay there's the obvious goal of the protagonist everybody's aware of the goal of the protagonist but what's also written in is the secondary goal and the secondary goal usually is connected to the protagonist's soul in some form or way so that by solving the external problem or issue, you know, save the girls, stop the bad guys, this and that, the protagonist inevitably ends up saving or completing, bringing to wholeness his soul. And that's really what this sounds like. It sounds like the obvious goal is let's help people with this. The secondary goal is my soul is involved in this and I'm healing myself through this. Right, right. Yeah, honestly, that's a great way of putting it. It was, um, I mean, like there was definitely a component of this, I think could help people. And like I said, there, there are faces I can think of of children that um, were no longer children, but you know, children that needed this stuff. And um, that was that, but at the same time, I, I recognized that I felt better when I was, you know, working on this and thinking about it and that mm -hmm. I needed that for myself, or at least I, I should try to do that because I deserve to at least feel better and um yeah and then after that you know it just one step led to another and it, it was uh you know like I went from being a so-so student 
um, to all of a sudden, yeah, like um, giving giving talks, uh, presentations, lectures, whatever, um, across these incredible venues. And I went from, you know, like, oh, don't be this guy in school to, you know, the institution was like, oh my goodness, like, look at what you could be as a student, look at what you could be doing. And it was ironic because I was still, as I was, because I was giving like all these lectures and stuff out of the classroom a lot, but now all of a sudden my time and what I was doing was justified, not just to me, but to my greater community and my family. And, you know, like what I sought out to do was to make sure that I, you know, I, I, I like, I was faking it till I made it is a great way of also putting it right. Like I was, <laughs> I, I was, I was walking the walk and I kept uh, just trying to get it figured out. And, um, I, I'm glad I did. Um, I'm since I've since, you know, like it, I still, every now and again, you know, you never really squash depression. Like it is something that kind of shows up, flails up and then comes back down. And so, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm generally so much happier now. I know how to like live with it and work through it. And I use, I use those ruts as my, as my creative space now, you know, like it's, it's one of those things where you take like one of the most difficult parts of what you're going through and then in that moment you use that as like your training space you use that as like mm. this space where you need to push yourself the hardest and instead of sitting there and and you know using it completely as like this cathartic experience um and, and you know being by yourself you use that to push yourself so then when you're feeling better you know like it's easy it's it's easy you don't you don't you did all the innovating you did all the work when you were in that bad space and now that you're feeling better you can focus on making sure it's going well and, and growing and so um and, and it, it seems to work but i'm a big proponent of that yeah i think there's a couple of things mohan that really stick out to me and that is uh, number one when you find what's deep inside of your soul that you you've got to do it's almost like you have a hard time breathing if you're not doing that thing and from an early age, you decided that you needed to be a person of service. You needed to be a person that would that contributed more to the world than just in the standard everyday thing that you do. We all go to school or we all have a job. We all have the day-to-day -day things that we have to do to survive in, in society and in the economy. But you tapped into something that was a little bit deeper. Um, the interesting, you talked about depression and I, I've, I've always been fascinated with depression. And I know that depression hits different people in different ways, but I've been fascinated with depression in the sense that our minds and our bodies become depressed. Everything kind of slows down. And I think it's for a reason. You know, it, it, it gives us a time to slow down and to reexamine and to say, okay, where am I at in life? And then what can I do to bring myself to uh, a, a different state. And it sounds like during this depressive time, you did some soul searching and you were able to come out of that like a phoenix and create something new. And I also like how you talked about that as you move forward, it's not that depression ever goes away because we go through states of depression and, you know, and, and then normal states um, when we need to pull back and when we need to get a little bit more reflective. So talk about how you, um, you know, when you get into some of those states now, um, what do you do that's different? Yeah, well, I think, uh, there, 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 I think it's important to like, let your body acknowledge and your mind relax. And, you know, like there, it's not like, uh, I'm ever in denial or, or actively rejecting what's happening to me. Right. Like there, there are days where, you know, like if you just need a day to like hit snooze on everything and, and just like be with yourself for a little bit, then that's totally normal. But I think it's one of those things where it's it's too tempting to um, stay in that space. It's too tempting mm. to want to always be hitting snooze and just, oh, I, I, I need I need another hour or I need another day. I need another week. I, I'll have a better month. I'll have a better year. And it's one of those things where if you don't put a deadline or an expiration date for yourself to to like okay i i need to try now i need to i need to start helping myself now then it becomes a problem right and so for me like i always like allow myself to have that but then at the same time i tell myself okay after after this day uh no matter how i'm feeling i i need to at least start waking up at this time right i, I need to wake up at this time and then i'm gonna i'm gonna try and you know do something for me maybe i'll read 
um, a chapter of a book. Maybe I'll meditate. Maybe I'll go to the gym. Maybe I'll make breakfast. Maybe I'll, I, uh, uh, or even, even if it's simple as like at this time, I'm going to wake up 10 minutes later, I'm going to go brush my teeth, right? Like just mm. make sure that you really take the time to, um, fill your time and and appreciate your your own routine it doesn't have to be complicated right like you you don't have to read a book you don't you don't have to meditate i mean i would recommend both of those but you know it, just making sure that you appreciate some structure and and build that for yourself i think is super important and um i so i i do that and then i usually take that time to uh really start pushing creatively like i i take that time to really start thinking about what is it that I want to work on next? Or how do I build this current thing further? I, instead of making sure that it's working because that's what I do when I'm healthy and happy, what can I do to build it, right? Because in a time where I'm kind of rebuilding and reflecting on myself, let's, let's take that lens and let's apply it to the different things I have going for me in my life. And so um, that's usually what I try and do. It's not foolproof, I'll be honest, you know, like it's sometimes, um, sometimes it's just it's it's really hard um but i do always get to a point where I, I feel the need to be trying again because i owe it to myself and more so i owe it to the people around me um to to be pushing and to be trying harder right um i i just yeah whenever i feel really caught up in my own mind i remind myself that i'm not the only person in my life and that there are other people out there that care for me that need me and if i'm not around it's affecting them too. Um, and so that, that's usually how I fish myself out once it gets, you know, really bad or it becomes really hairy. Yeah. I like how you realize that there's, there are these moments of life where you're going to go through these things. Um, and that that's okay. I mean, Miles, you and I've talked about this before. Uh, there's that concept of the woodshed that, um, uh, artists and, and musicians go through where, you know, they lock themselves in the woodshed for a period of time. It's a creative uh, period. And right. what I found through life is I would get into what I think some people would call depression or a depressive moment. And I've reframed that and say, that's not because I, I don't know that I'm feeling sad or whatever. I, I recognize it for what it is. My faculties are depressed, but it was like my mind and my body were telling me, this is your time to go into the woodshed and create. This is your time to reflect. This is your time to recreate. This is another Phoenix moment. And I think we have those Phoenix moments many times through life. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with those periods of time. Because like you're talking about, Mohan, we do come on the other side of those if we give it enough time. But then we also say, all right, there's a deadline to this because after X point, this isn't serving me anymore. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, one of the other, the clinical, the other clinical definition of depression is rage turned inward. Mm. And if we, if we play with the idea of rage and take the value judgment off of the word, what you're left with is, a profound sense of energy mm. and how you how you direct that energy um, says a lot about who you are. And it, it to me, it's so understandable to be angry in in America. And this might extend to any other country, too. But I live here. <clears throat> and so the things that are going on, the stuff that we see oftentimes, you know, the waste of no matter what. Um, it, it could be a waste of, you know, medical equipment. It could be a waste of spiritual energy, a waste of, you know, your political energy. You could get angry. And that anger can turn into rage. And the next thing you're asking yourself is, what do I do with this? And if you really don't have a, anything, a place to a conduit for that rage, you have to tamp it down. You start pushing it down. And that's the inward motion of the depression where you just all of a sudden you feel kind of numb and catatonic. And so to have these, uh, these, these, these elements of being able to creatively explode, that's the term I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. How do you creatively express rage without doing damage to yourself, without doing damage to somebody else? So rage expressed creatively comes out into some of the things that we do. I hit the piano, um, I box, 
Um, it sounds like Mohan, you figured out this other conduit towards expressing it. Mm -hmm. You know, just being from a child, being angry, looking at what these children, these things, this equipment, what this is this waste going on in this world, and how come anybody, not anybody's doing it? And you found the conduit to express that rage. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great way of putting it. And you know, like it's those conduits. I think come in many forms, right? Like whether it's uh, going to the gym and like taking out that rage, that energy physically, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, and pushing your body to um you know like uh yeah like may maybe it's maybe it's playing an instrument maybe it's do maybe it's painting maybe it's something a bit more artistic and expressive um you know like there's there is no the only i and i the only real i don't think there's a wrong way i should say of expressing rage but there are ways that are harmful and right. it's yeah. when you, like take it out on other people or take it out on yourself or uh, in my opinion, you know, to turn turn to illicit or harmful substance, right? Like, in, and you're using that to numb it to the point where you're in, ignoring it and in denial about it, right? Like, that's that's really that's scary, right? And so, um, at least, it's scary to think about. And so, um, yeah, I think like for for me, it was um, I, I I've always just thought it was out of sense of duty, right? Like, it's one of those things where. I think like we're all this is kind of like my my little metaphor for life it doesn't make a lot of sense but bear with me right like i you know like you're born and and let's just say like you just kind of pop up as whatever version of yourself and you're just on like this big old rugged pirate ship and it's it's old <laughs> and you are or like the first person on this thing and it's it's just floating through like a deep purple cosmic space right like and, mm. and you're there all of a sudden you're like okay uh, where am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? <laughs> and, and then more and more people start showing up around you. And these are the different people that, you know, like whether you ever acknowledge them or not, but they're there and they're on the ship with you. And this thing is just moving towards whatever. And all of a sudden people start freaking out. They're like, well, where's it going? What, what's the direction? Like, where are we? Like, I, what am I supposed to be doing here? And, and like, people start, you know, like telling themselves like, I'll, I'll go, I'll go take care of the sales or I'll make sure we have food or, or, well, I'm going to try and figure out like where we're navigated and, and people start running around trying to figure out what's going on. And then all of a sudden it turns towards like, well, I, I, there's not enough room on the boat. Like you toss that person over or I deserve this. You don't deserve that. And people mm. all of a sudden start hurting each other because they're freaking out. And for me, you know, like I don't, I, as just another passenger on this thing, don't know where the ship is going. And I, I don't know where, when it's going to stop. I don't know what my job is, but I do see that there's a lot of people scared and, and terrified of what's going on. And if, if I can at least make this journey into total oblivion, at least that much less hurtful for someone else, or I can bring that kind of peace to, to like the people on this trip with me, then I'm doing something right, right? Like I, my, my job is to just make sure that the people here are, are, you know, like not, not hurting themselves and not hurting other people. And that I'm just helping the people on the ship. I don't know like what the point is. I don't know how I got here, but I do know that what's happening right now is not fair to any of us. And so I want to make sure that I can at least make that journey a bit more pleasant for the people there. And so, you know, for, for me, that, that comes out in the form of, well, like I, I want to like help the people, uh, I, I want to help people receive medical care that they otherwise don't have access to. How can I do that? That's, that's a really complicated issue. That's really, it can get political, it can get expensive. What are the things I can do? And at the time, what can I do as a 20 year old in Utah, um, you know, going to school with no money on a like ramen potato diet, like what can I do to, uh, <laughs> what can I do? Great description. Yeah, man. But like, what can I do to help people if this is what I care about? And I think it's one of those things where, especially in healthcare, everyone always seems to believe that, oh, I, I need to like be a healthcare practitioner. I need to have an MD. I need to like um, have like this specialized degree of knowledge to be able to contribute towards a conversation um, or to contribute towards a solution. And I just think that that's I don't know, like healthcare and health well-being. That's something we all have to deal with. That's something that affects all of us, right? Or we affect it. And so to just say that 
oh, the only people who have the right to talk about this are the people who are smarter than I am, doesn't really add up to me. It's one of those things where we all are affected by this and we all have our own experiences. And so we're all capable of building a solution. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I've always, when I first started Project Embrace, like I got a whole lot of, well, Mohan, like you're just like, your kid, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Like, oh, that's really cute and all, but I, you're just, well, what do you know, right? And um, I could have just let that be an, I could have let that been an opportunity to just stop myself, but it's wild to me, you know, like if someone like has a line of doctors or a line of like astronauts, a line of like scientists, a line of whatever profession, like in front of you, and then they ask, you know, a very specific question and they're like, okay, like who, who's the most qualified here to do something about it, right? Everyone always tends to look to their left and their right to see if someone's going to step forward first. Mm, Not yeah. a lot of people just close their eyes and say like, you know what, I think I have an idea and then step forward. And I've always, I don't know, like I've always been a huge proponent of you, you people, a lot of people self-select to not be competitive because they believe that they're not going to be the champion or they believe that they are not the person to fix the problem. They're like, oh, I, I know I'm good at what I do or I, I know like I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, but like I can't be the best, right? Um, and so in, in context of Project Embrace, like I just took a step forward and before I knew it, I, you know, I, I was the person that was the most qualified to talk about it. And I was the person that was talking about it simply because no one else wow. wanted to, right? And it's, it's one of those things where regardless if I believed in myself or not, I, people didn't, I don't know. It just, I stepped forward first and it really half the time. That's all it ever is, is just yeah. an idea. Well, and, and I think there's a couple of things that really stand out to me, Mohan, is that you, you tapped into something that's part of your soul, part of just who you are. I mean, you're, you're a kid that has, and I'm using the word kid in a very positive way, not to, to put you down because <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to, I want to emphasize to people that are listening to this podcast that you're a kid that tapped into that part of your soul that told you, here's what I am. Here's who, here's who I am. You know, you're very magnetic. You have a great personality. You were, I, like I told you before, I remember walking into the cafe when you used to work for us there. And your smile would radiate across the entire cafe. People were drawn to you because of your smile, your great looks. You're just like a very outgoing, gregarious guy. You said, hey, I can be that guy that helps to garner people to for this great cause. You're very well-spoken. You're very introspective and very wise. And you come up with these ideas that maybe people haven't thought of in the way that they have or the way that you have. And you've taken those strengths and said, hey, I'm the guy. I'm, I'm going to be the guy. I'm choosing to be the guy. And I think that's really cool. I, I think the other point that really stood out to me when you're talking is that whenever you tap into your soul and what your soul's purpose is, immediately you're going to run into opposition. You're going to have people say, well, yeah, but. And the people that I've found that have given pushback to myself or to anybody else that I know that, uh, that have done cool things, amazing things. Those are the people that don't know what their soul's purpose is. Hmm. They're just going through the motions and they're going through the thing that they think they should do, but they haven't tapped into their soul's purpose. So I've always made it a rule of thumb that as soon as I know what's in my soul and I hear people talking about, well, but it's going to be this difficult or you're not this or you're not that. Right. I do. I say, man, I'm on the right path. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I often, you know, like to, to supplement that as well. I often I believe at least one of my core principles that I, I really like told myself a lot um, growing up uh, that really applied to Project Embrace in particular was the best ideas are often the most provocative. Right. Not not. Yes. Yeah. There's, a, there's a really big difference between provocative and controversial. Right. Like they're yeah. not harmful but they, they are pushing people to think about the world a little differently. And, and you know, like there, there's upset with that, whether that's like, oh, like, I, I don't know, like what about this, this and this, or, oh, that's a good idea, but it's gonna be really hard. Or, oh, mm -hmm. I don't know, like something, something out there already has to be doing this. Maybe, I don't know, like, why would you do it better? And, and it's, you, you're never, the, the best ideas, the world changing ideas are never the ones where anyone immediately says good idea. <laughs> right like that's it's right too easy. right 
all those ideas are gone, right? Like we are now at a place where the you 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 can find those ideas, whatever. But if you're looking to make a difference, that's not how you do it. And yeah, um, I think I, I agree. They're both provocative and evocative. They evoke yeah. a lot of emotion, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah. And let me and let me add to this because I, I can hear this through both of you guys talking. Um, I think most of us, most human beings, for the most part, are selfish, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but I just think that's way, what we are. And mm-hmm. to come up with an act that's selfless is intimidating to us. All of a sudden, you've got a group of selfish people. One person decides to become selfless with something, an idea, something, and the rest of us get intimidated. You know, like because you're actually challenging our selfishness. So it's funny that I I hear this as you guys are speaking about this. Oh, 100%. I have always, and this is just, I've always defended this. Like people are just monsters. (laughs) Like, you know, we, we, we hurt ourselves and we hurt each other so much and it's just out of habit. It's just out of habit. And it's one of those things where, I don't know, I've always believed that people are so incredibly selfish and that I'm incredibly selfish and I need to constantly be working towards not being selfish, right? Like the moment I tell myself I'm not selfish, the moment I either start becoming very explicitly selfish or worse, I and I think this is so much worse, I, I stop trying to be selfless, right? Like I just become, I just become a, a, a suck on resources and time and I'm not doing anything for anyone, including myself. And so I, I just think it's one of those things where you know, I, I did, I started Project Embrace not out of a sense of, I want to feel fulfilled. It was out of a sense of duty. It was out of a sense of uh, almost obligation, right? Like if I, I saw a problem that no one else was seeing, it would be morally upsetting and arguably wrong if I chose to just walk away uh, as opposed yeah. to least try to do something because no one else is seeing it i'm the only one that see it right like i could just be the guy who just says like that's not a thing and then like no 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 one's gonna do that or or someone else will come along i i know i'm not the only one that can be seeing this right now it's just like this it's a it's a a mental and it's a mind bystander effect right and so Mm. um you you just need to make sure that you know, like uh, when the opportunity presents itself to to help or to contribute that you take it because you'd be surprised when you say someone else is going to show up and take care of it or I'm not the only one. More often than not, we are. And um, it's it's on us to make sure that we see those opportunities and take advantage while they're there. Because sometimes, and in my case, at least, it can be really life changing, um, not just for the people I'm helping, I'm sure, but also for myself. Um, and so it feeds back into this whole selfish thing too, where it's like you, you, you put something out into the world and you help people around you, but guess what? Like you're also helping yourself. You're nourishing yourself too. So everyone wins yeah. um, the moment we try. It's disruptive. Yeah. And that's, that's part yeah. of what makes it great. It's disruptive. And I think, you know, Miles, like what you're talking about, um, it, it creates a disruption and I think that when someone like Mohan steps out and does something, it disrupts other people's vision of themselves because they see someone that they know that at that moment they can relate to. Maybe they've sat down and had lunch or had a coffee with this person and they can relate to them. And now all of a sudden, here's a person that's saying, hey, I'm disrupting things and I'm, I'm going on another path of evolution. And so others look at that person like a Mohan and say, wait a minute, you can't do that. You're just a kid right. <laughs> or you're just this uh, right. because of their right. own insecurities, their own perspective in life that's limiting them. Right. Parad- paradoxically, according to uh, uh, Ayn Rand, this is the highest form of selfishness. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, she, she has a book called The Art of Selfishness and she says in the beginning of the book that selfishness, the, the word selfish is a pejorative term, but at its highest levels, when you go in and say, I need to make myself better to make other people better. And that's the goal. That's the highest form of selfishness. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I, I've always, you know, like one thing that uh, with Project Embrace in particular, right? It, it, it's one of those things where I've always been so weary of the idea of just 
of, of developing some kind of savior complex or like, oh, I'm doing such good, like people need this, people need me. Like, I, I think that that's really harmful uh, because it, it justifies not being critical of yourself and it justifies potentially really harmful practices mm. in the community, right? Like I could just say, oh, uh, giving away wheelchairs is good. But then, you know, like, here's the thing. Like if I take off with like a hundred wheelchairs and I go to a hospital that really is just tiny, right? Like the size of a storage shed because it's in the middle of nowhere. And then I show up with 100 wheelchairs. I'm like, this will help you. You know, like, where are they going to put that stuff? Like, how are they, yeah, how do I know if people are going to show up? And like, it, it takes like, a, it takes a lot of research. It takes a lot of time and energy uh, uh, to make sure that I'm going about this in the most ethical way possible. And I could just, you know, be, it's called bio dumping when you just take like a, a health resource and you just throw it onto a community and, and it ends up not being used um or or like i don't know like it's it's really when you're when you're working with really vulnerable people and you show up and you say i have this thing like do you need it um it's really hard for some communities to say no and so i i could just like be imposing a solution when like it's not actually wow. someone wow and so wow yeah it's and so like you need to be really aware of what you're doing and how you're going about it because i i it's it's just so easy to say like i saw a problem and now i'm doing something but just because you saw a problem and and you you found a way to solve the problem doesn't necessarily mean like you're you're fixing something and i i learned this right. in like uh um like it just you know well, i was taking this uh class at the school of medicine at, at the u and um it was a, it was a ethics and global health. And like, it was just like one of those things where this was, I was taking this as a research for project embrace. I was like, I, I need to like educate myself. So I took this class, but anyway, like one of the case studies we had was, you know, like uh, Coca-Cola intervening in like Haiti uh, after like uh, whatever earthquake or whatever, like natural disaster. And like they, everyone needs bottled water. So like they start handing out Dasani to everyone. And of course, like that's helpful. But then Coca-Cola was also like, also, here's some coke right like here's some coca-cola and then like when given those two options all of a sudden everyone was drinking the coca-cola because it just tasted better and it had sugar and all of this and then that created a problem of onset diabetes in haiti mm. when like uh, when they were just trying to help right um or like another i think more noble noble example is building wells uh wells in like developing countries right like oh like uh these people need access to the groundwater because their water is contaminated with malaria or whatever uh, parasites. And so you create a well, but then all of a sudden, you know, like a nut on the well or like a basic mechanism on the well, the lever breaks. And then like you've now created, now people are like trying to climb down into the well to get the water and dying or like they're not able to get out. And what you thought was a solution has created a, has created a, a, a greater problem or a sense of dependency right? Like the, the municipal government pays attention to the well, and then they start asking the villagers to pay to use that water. So then people instead go back to the river and they hurt themselves. There's just so many different things to consider when you're actually thinking about helping your community. Um, but it's, uh, and, and it can be really complicated, but at the end of the day, like, it's just about being mindful of who you're helping, because going back to what Miles was saying, if you're thinking about bettering yourself so you can better other people, that's one side of it. But if you're only focusing on yourself to better people and not thinking about the people anymore, you start to see dilemmas like this, where very capable right. yeah. and noble people have great causes and then they show up and then they're just making it worse. But on paper, it looks like they're helping, you know? Yeah. But yeah, well, you're 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 making me re remember a quote by Ivan Sheenard, who's the uh, the founder of Patagonia, uh, one of my favorite companies. And he said that the hardest thing in the world to do is to live an examined life. And, you know, you really do have to examine everything that you're doing. And what are the ramifications of that? We all hopefully, I believe, have a desire to help other people. But I love what you're talking about, Mohan, where you're, you're saying, I've got to I've got to educate myself. And what is the best way for me to help? Also, once I get involved, what what negative um, uh, byproducts, you know, what collateral damage could I be doing if I don't help in the right way? Um, fascinating. It's huge. And I think like one thing that I've said since day one about Project Embrace is, you know, like, yeah, like we're, we're taking uh, some incredible uh, equipment and really expensive things out to a community, but we shouldn't 
exist, you know, as a, as a, as an organization, like in an ideal world, we wouldn't need to be doing this. We would, people would have access to this stuff. And so now that we're doing this, instead of just generating accolades on top of themselves, right? Like we, we take that opportunity where people are celebrating the work we're doing to then say, okay, so how do we work ourselves out of the job? Now that everyone is paying attention, what do mm. I have to do to make sure that I don't have to keep doing this? Because I shouldn't have to do this. People should right. have access to this stuff. I don't want to keep doing this. It's, it's emotional and hurtful and it's, it's, it's not sustainable right like it's it's one of those things where i show up with the wheelchair um, on the reservation and it's it's helpful because now like the elder that was stuck inside their home can actually get outside during the pandemic and do things but then seven months later that wheelchair breaks and i'm not there again right like mm. what what do we do to actually solve the greater problem and um for me like while i love project embrace and it's given me such incredible worldly experiences I, more than anything, want Project Embrace to eventually get to the point where we don't have to do that, right? Like, we, we should be working to solve the problem. If we're not doing that, then I don't think we're doing our job to the most thorough sense of solving a problem. Um, and so, you know, like, there's a really big push in Project Embrace. And this is, you know, why I ran for office was I think trying to address things systemically is, is important, right? There's, a, there's, there's like, yeah, there's, I don't know, like, there's, I've been told uh, through through very strange metaphors. <laughs> um, okay, so just bear with me on this one, right? Like, let's say the three of us are on a hike. There are three levels of community service. We're we're on a hike, and there's a we come across a river, right? And and there are just uh, puppies, puppies just floating down the river, and you know, like obviously this is a problem, right? Like these puppies shouldn't be in the <laughs> river. So then you know one of us has the idea of like uh, uh, let's just you know like miles is like well let's take the puppies out of the water like well, what the heck right and so we start scooping the puppies that would out be me right? that would yeah. be me and yeah. and like that, that's like the equivalent of like serving soup at like a soup kitchen right like you are like immediately addressing a problem you're you're immediately mm -hmm. addressing the, the problem that is the most apparent so you start scooping right and then like uh, we're doing that for a while but we're like we're missing a few because there's so many so then Steve, you're like, oh, you know what? I I'm gonna I'm gonna teach them how to swim. I'm gonna teach them how to take care of themselves, right? So this is providing like opportunities or an education mm -hmm. or a yeah. way for a population to help themselves, right? So I'm gonna teach them how to swim. But but that that's still like they're still in the water, right? So then for me, like I'm like, okay, you, you both keep doing that. I'm gonna run to the mouth of the river, figure out what is happening and see if I can stop it up there. And mm. so, you know, like there's there's like the addressing the symptom, the self-resilience and then the systemic problem. And so, um, you know, a project embrace for me it, in a way is is just pulling things out of the water. Right. Like we're we're addressing the most immediate and the most apparent. But in doing so, we now have access to very isolated, very remote and otherwise really hard to find people. So while we're there, we should be investigating. We should be having bigger conversations. We should be looking for greater solutions because I'm down there giving away wheelchairs. I'm talking to a Navajo woman and she has a translator, her daughter, um, and, and the Navajo woman, she only knows how to speak Dine. And and so and then her daughter looks at me and says, Oh, my my mom wants to say she's so grateful. And now she's asking, Oh, do, do you have insulin? Did you do you have any of that with you? And like breaks my heart. Wow. Like, no, I don't. Mm. Like, I, and mm. why don't you have that? Like, how long have you been rationalizing insulin, right? Like, why is this not, why is no one talking about this problem? That's way more urgent. And um, wh while we're at it, how come there's no running water in your home? Or why isn't there any electricity? Where, where's the public infrastructure? What's going on? Right. And so like, it's, it's not about just like this, this fetishization uh, of, of poverty and like a, a community's problems but you know like really acknowledging what's going on and and trying to further the conversation because i'm there because i'm i'm addressing the most immediate but i have direct view of so many other problems and then that just goes back to what i was saying earlier now that i'm aware of this stuff do i do something about it and i think i have the obligation to now because no one else is seeing it and that's mm -hmm. how project embrace started and it's constantly doing that to itself right it's constantly showing me more and more and more that I can be doing in a more effect in a more efficient and effective way. And so uh keeps me busy. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's a constant evolution as you're as you're 
um, awareness grows, then your ability to influence grows as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think that's... uh, I'm just going to take us back a second. I'm going to digress a moment to a moment of levity and humor. And Mohan, when you said the savior complex, I got to tell you this. If I was a film director, I wouldn't have cast Mel Gibson as Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was a Middle Easterner. And I look at you and that hair, you would be my Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That is a very funny compliment. Yeah. <laughs> but Mohan, I think oh. you bring up an important point and that, you know, I, I've always called it, uh, or I've always used, I didn't come up with this, obviously. I, I stole this from uh, Stephen Covey's book in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where he talks about your circle of concern and versus your circle of con- control. And the things that you can control, if you focus on that, then over time that grows because your awareness grows and your ability to influence grows. And I had a friend years ago that focused on that for years and years and years. And his ability to influence grew on a very massive level. He got involved with a group called Women Beyond Cancer. And because he had focused on his circle of influence and his ability to control certain things, he was able to help this organization uh, raise money and help women in, in a very impactful way. And so while he was concerned about all of these different things in the world, he, his primary focus was on what can I do right now? And then as he did that, it continued to grow and it continued to grow and it continued to grow. So what, what is exciting for me is sitting here and I, I, I don't know if we've seen each other in person for, I don't know how many years, five or six years, but it's amazing to me to see where you're at right now and what you've created. What I'd love to do is in 10 years time or five years time, sit down again and see and hear what you're doing and where you've evolved to. 20 years from now, where are you? 30 years from now, because I think you're just at the beginning of this evolution. Um, we're coming up on the on our time, Mohan, so I want to do just kind of a, uh, a rapid-fire question uh, and ah. answer thing with you, if that's okay. Absolutely. That's um, so at the Evolve Podcast, we're all about disrupting uh, our current way of thinking so that we can create more evolution, both in our life, but in our communities and our society. So let's talk disruption. Um, the first question is, how do you disrupt your life to spark new growth? Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, one, I, I, I stick to, ironically, right? Like I stick to a routine. I, I try to make sure mm. that I give myself a very productive morning in particular to start my day off well. Um, and then feeling confident and strong after you know being awake for a few hours that is a great way to go about like my day to day. Another thing that I do to constantly try and disrupt myself is, you know, like in my routine where I disrupt myself is there, there are certain points where like, I, I know I can progress. And so pushing past limitations and growing is a micro form of disruption. Right. And I think that that's mm. important because if you can disrupt and progress in your morning routine, then you can uh, disrupt and progress in much larger life changing things. Um, Love and it. I think uh, another thing I do is, I carry around a little blue notebook, um, like a really tiny pocket one. Um, and when I see something in the world that I want to change or like I have an idea, what I do is I write it down in my little book, regardless of how dumb or complicated it is, it can be really silly. And, uh, you know, and then I, and then I put it in my book, I put it back in my pocket. And then if I find myself thinking about that idea for more than 72 hours, I revisit it. And then that's mm. how I like that if that's something I want to like learn more about or something I think I can change. Um, if, it, if it goes away in 72 hours and I have to open my book to remind myself I wrote it down, then it's probably not worth my time. Um, it's a great. So, we'll, we'll call that the 72 hour rule. I like that. Yeah. And so that's yeah. that's one way I, I'm constantly looking for ways to try and disrupt or make the world better. But how I vet those opportunities and make sure I'm not wasting my time is through that little blue book. Um, okay. But awesome. Those, those are two things. Yeah. Great. So next question is, as you've evolved, what's something that you used to believe that you no longer do? Um, I used to believe that, um, you know, in order to have 
in order to make a difference, you need to be of like a certain status or you need to like have like a certain reputation or stature or whatever. But really like it's, it's about making sure it's, if you actually genuinely feel empowered to make a difference, you can't do it alone. I don't think anyone can ever make a difference by themselves, but you need to convince other people to join you and to make sure that they push with you. And so I understand the argument of like, I, oh, I don't, I don't have like the influence and just like, well, you don't need to, because when you have a thousand of you or a million of you, whatever, you are making a difference. And so um, I used to believe that I needed to like be like a much larger than life kind of person to like get stuff Mm. done. Now I believe that I just need to have my community with me and that I need to like have my support system with me to push something. And that's, that's something that I would push for, um, for everyone to, to start to adopt, but yeah beautiful perspective. Last one. How do you tap into your innate creative power? Wow. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a doozy. Um, I, I just start talking about it. I start, you know, when I have an idea, I sit down with a friend, a confidant, a loved one. And I just start, I, you know, I, like, I tell them like, this is what's exciting me right now. And then I go off or, and then I, and then I ask them like, what do you think? And what's exciting you? And you know, like just having that open, vulnerable and colorful conversation is, you know, the kindling to a much larger fire. And so for me to, to ignite that creativity is to just start sharing the idea and to start talking about it um, and, and start getting other voices in the room. So, um, yeah, just not putting it in a box and just letting it out into the world and letting and letting it breathe and letting people comment. on it. That's that's what I do. Beautiful. That's great. Well, and Mohan Sudabatula, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, oh, we, you got it right. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read through it the first time, and uh, it, it's my dyslexic reading on that. <laughs> but on that note, folks, it's time to wrap up another Evolve podcast. Uh, we're grateful that Mohan joined us today. And uh, Miles, thanks for waking up today and jumping on. Um, yeah, we've thanks had a for great... having me this early. Yes, yes. We've had a great conversation today. We hope that you, our evolutionary listeners, took something with you that will help you in your personal evolution. Mohan, what's the best way for people to follow all of the great things that you're doing and get involved uh, in whatever way they feel like they can? Yeah, a bunch of ways, honestly. Like, uh, first, I would direct everyone to check out the website, projectembrace.org, uh, to follow us on social media, right? So just underscore at underscore Project Embrace across all platforms. Um, or myself, Mohan the Brohan, <laughs> and just, you know. <laughs> I like, love that uh, name. <laughs> just, Mohan just drop, the Brohan. Right, yeah. And like, just yeah, so drop, cool. drop us a line at Project Embrace, drop me a line. And like I said, I'm a huge proponent of talking and just like putting ideas out there. So just start a conversation, you know, that's, that's what I would do. And yeah, that's how you can keep up with me and what's going on. Beautiful. Well, thanks, Mohan. And folks, don't wait. Uh, Do me a favor. Will you go smash the stars or the ratings or whatever uh, you do on whatever app you're listening to uh, for the Evolve podcast? Your great ratings help us to book even more amazing guests like Mohan. And we would love to continue to get great guests on the uh, podcast so that we can help to enrich your life. Miles, what's new at Evolve? Well, if you don't have our latest, um, Evolve Your Soul, Evolve Your Mind, Evolve Your Body, and Evolve Your Tribe t-shirts, run on over to the store, pick one up. Awesome. And folks, remember, it takes time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt in order to evolve your mind, evolve your body, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. You are fantastic. But now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. And evolve. (laughs) Love it. <laughs>